Welcome to Vintage Annals Archive Outsider Podcast. This is your host, uh, Rich Wexler. I'm very excited about this episode. We've been holding this episode for four months during the strike uh, because I really couldn't release it before that out of respect for the sh- people striking. And also, it wouldn't necessarily benefit us to not be able to like have the people involved be able to share it. Um, uh, this I got, to, I got very lucky to talk to Rich Summer. Uh, Rich, you know... Harry Crane, I believe that was who he played from Mad Men. Uh, really interesting actor, really good dude. Um, we recorded this the day of the day before the strike went into effect, or the day of the strike went into effect. And he was very gracious to give me a little time, you know, with and, and we had to do it within like two and a half hours. And I don't know, he's I just think Rich is a very authentic, good, interesting human being, and it was a pleasure to get to know him. Um, and it, you know, it sucked to have to sit with this thing for four months, and I'm glad it's out. Uh, please enjoy. Um, also, check out our po- our Minx podcast because this will be on there too as episode ten. Um, that show I fell in love with Minx during the pandemic, and it was it was it really it was it's one of the greatest shows. It, it always felt like the Muppets to me. Something about the characters. I don't know. There's something about it being authentic. Something about everybody like had conflict, but they all got along. This show, and and, and in terms of like the visual. And the costumes, everything felt real and authentic. And I knew there was something special about it. And it really got me through the pandemic. I must have watched it six or seven times during the pandemic. And then HBO Max kind of kicked it off the air for some tax purposes. And then SARS bought it. And then right when it about to hit, within, I think, a week or even before, it got none of the actors could promote it. So please, 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 please watch both seasons um, it's it's a great binge as well. It's such an amazing show. Please check out our other podcasts with so many. I mean, we interviewed Ellen Rapport, who is a showrunner and creator, director. Uh, interviewed Carly Herbert, who did all the makeup, was the head of makeup. We interviewed the sound department. We interviewed a bunch of other actors involved. Sam Levine, uh, Len Parham, Stephen Tabalowski, uh, uh, Oscar Montoya. You know, we interviewed... Uh, so many people, and I, I'm I'm not going to do justice right now because I want to get this out. Uh, but you know, it's it's amazing. So please subscribe, please watch that show. That show deserves better than it's gotten, and I'm hoping by putting some of these out, people still can now like catch the 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 Minx wave because it's one of the best shows I've ever. If, it's one of my favorite shows I've seen in years. Uh, and and when I got to know more about the cast and the crew, I can't even tell the amount of research that these people did. They could have made a 13-part documentary with the amount of knowledge these people had about the show. And it was so detailed and it was such care went into building a community to make this show special, taking care of people. Um, it's amazing. So please enjoy Rich uh, uh, Summer's interview. Again, I, I, got, I got to watch Rich too during the strike and just every day. Like, these, you know, that was not easy for people. And I don't know, just I grew respect for a lot of people who kind of really really, you know, owned the strike and really kind of spoke out and tried to help and enjoy. Um, I guess I'm curious, do you identify as a writer and you, you were associated with Brave New Workshop and I think UCB, 
So in that, you know, in like improvising, creating, do you see yourself as a writer in some way or a creator? Not at all. Okay. <laughs> I'm not, I, the only, the only uh, story with which I've had any, okay, that's not, the only story with which I've had official uh, creative input was a movie that a friend of mine wrote, Andy Zilch okay. wrote a movie called The Crooked Somebody, based on an idea that I had had about 20 years ago. It was just a nugget of an idea. And then uh, I, he and I wrote the story together, and then he wrote the script. Okay. Um, so, but beyond that, uh, my creative contribution has been limited to you know, ad-libbed moments on the day or maybe small conversations, the writers of a particular project. But overall, I'm terrified to put my name on a piece of paper and say, uh, this is, yeah. the, I wrote this and this is my idea and I hope you like it. That I, the the courage and audacity that writers have, uh, I, I am, I live in fear. So I think they are, uh, heroes, and I'm grateful for everything that they do. That's it's why, um, not to bring it back to the strike, but you know, it's it's why I've been I've felt so in awe of their resilience in yeah. this moment because they they are the reason I have anything to say in any of these shows. And, right. and the first day I went on the picket line with the WGA was day two of the strike, and I I went and walked with Alan Rappaport, creator of of Minx. Uh, at Paramount because, you know, I just, she's the person who most recently was writing these amazing things for me to get to do and say. And I just, uh, yeah, I, I don't have the courage to write something. Although as uh, time goes on and I don't have any acting work while we're in the strike, maybe I'll take a swing at it. I don't know. I got to interview, I don't know if you know, um, um, David, uh, oh, sorry, my I've been very busy. My brain is uh david uh he, david was part of uh tj and dave um oh dave uh, david pesquizzi Pesqu Pesqu you know david yeah. pesquizzi yeah Pesqu Pesquizzi. Uh, i don't know him personally i'm a i'm a fan of his obviously he's a he's great we got to talk to him but he just talks about how he had to, he basically had to create his own work because he couldn't find he couldn't find the work that he wanted to do um that being said like can you and i know you you don't see yourself as a writer but have you ever thought about creating your own project conceptually Versus being the main writer? Um, I've thought about it and I've bandied about ideas with people, but it's not, I haven't felt underserved yet uh, in this right. business. I mean, yeah. look, we're, we're standing on the precipice of a potential tectonic shift that, that might leave less work on the other side of it. So maybe uh, that will feel like a necessity, but so far, uh, I think both anyone who likes my work and any of my detractors would say I've gotten to work a lot and yeah. um, I've never See, I... felt uh, like there there was a shortage of stuff for a sort of uh, uh, dorky, uh, seems nice, but might be uh, an asshole <laughs> white guy. Like I haven't run out of those roles quite yet. Do you identify as a nice person and as a human? I know it's a weird question, but do you feel like you're a nice guy? Do you feel like you're you try to be a mensch, a good guy? Some of the some of the some of the people that are the nicest can can play the meanest or can play the craziest as characters. I've seen a lot of actors who do great, angry, and mean because they're so nice. And I was curious if that ever if you felt like that was part of your dynamic in in, in any part or any way. I think I 
play angry and mean because I have some anger in me somewhere. I mean, I, I believe uh, <laughs> I, we all do. I was mostly raised in Minnesota, which uh, is known for uh, its its sort of um, uh, hidden hostilities, uh, barely hidden hostilities. You know, Minnesota nice, I think, is uh, really just a code for uh, tamping down what you'd actually like to say. And I, I, I suppose that just gave me the ability to code switch in a way that I can do that. Um, but I also, it doesn't feel, I'm also was, I was born in Ohio and lived there till age eight. And if you know anyone from Ohio, I think it's safe to say they're worse at that. They, they're not, they're not good at, uh, tamping down anything. They will tell you exactly what they're thinking and they wear it on their sleeve. So I think I'm a little bit dual citizenship as far as, how I wear emotions. Um, I have the instinct to let you know what's up, uh, but have the ability to tamp it down if the situation calls for it. And I suppose that has led to the type of work I've gotten to do. Oh, I was curious if you knew Cedric Yarbrough. I don't want to get into that, but he, cause he also trained, he's from, he's from there and he yeah, also no, trained. I, I, I was there when C Cedric was on stage when I was, uh, my first summer at the workshop in 98 he was in nice. the main stage show and i was assistant directing and teching the show and it's cool and i also feel like i also think i read there was like you guys had some connection with disney's cruises and people would well, perform. Brave New workshop did the, the when the disney cruise line began was i believe 98 or 99 the first uh theater the the first comedy club there was a was a brave new workshop room for the first few years of the cruise line i just think it's just to me is you know, it's just this very odd thing that I feel like I love because it's just so strange in a certain way. <laughs> um, you know, come train in our theater, study, you know, th serious theater, and then go, you know, maybe perform with Mickey. <laughs> well, the j just to clear up that, the Brave New Workshop was not ever a serious, I mean, it's a, it's effectively, the full title of the Brave New Workshop is the Brave New Workshop founded by Dudley Riggs in 1958 because the, uh, uh, the second city was started in 1959 and they wanted to be clear that they, even though it looks like we're ripping off their model, we were there one year earlier. So the, the, I believe, I believe those years are correct, but the brave new workshop is effectively a, or, or was in, in its uh, heyday, a, a place doing like what the second city does sort of satirical review style comedy based on current events. So every show was written by the performers and performed, uh, you know, within a month of the writing of it. So it was very, very topical. Okay, let's go to Minx. I don't know what you're allowed to say and what not. So if you can't answer something, let me know. I don't know if that matters once the release date happens or not. So I could also hold it to the release date. I'm just, I would like to get into, it's funny, I just rewatched it. But again, when I, I interviewed Lennon and, you know, it seemed, it, they, they seem to do a lot of building your your relationship your character's relationship in season one and i was glad to hear from lennon that like you, that that expands and you have a bigger role because i thought there was a lot of interesting things in that relationship and especially i just i just rewatched this whole season and this the, the scene where she comes back from bambi bambi and then you have a moment on the couch and i feel like that's such a really nice moment i also feel like in some ways her character in minx seems to be the heart of the show if that makes any sense Oh, absolutely. I mean, it, it, to me, it is now that could be my proximity, both, um, actor and character wise, but Shelly is absolutely to me, the, the heartbeat of the show. I mean, she is sort of embodying this moment that's happening. And there are other people who are at different stages of sort of, um, waking up 
uh, I, I think a lot of the show is about waking up and just sort of realizing uh, true self. And that's, you know, we're in a moment in history where that is being recognized. I think that's why the show has found the resonance it's found. It's definitely uh, something that people can relate to, even though we're talking about a, a an earlier awakening um, it's it's something that that faced similar challenges, similar sort of uh, societal pressures, and these guys are are kind of cracking out of a shell. Shelley, in particular, is um, you know finding a little bit of truth in a, a place where she's been going through a lot of motions, and yeah, it's going to be an interesting journey for for Shelley and Lenny as uh, time goes on. It seems like. With her character, she is expanding, but she's also like, she's, she's okay. She's, she wants to have a different world, but she also doesn't want to leave the old one totally, which is a very unique character where she's like, well, you know, I want to go here. I want to advance. I want to kind of get out of the shell and, and world, but then she's also honoring you at the end of it. So it's, it just gives a nice message of like, you know, why, why can't we, why can't you have both? I'm curious on, I know, I mean, you know, unfortunately you didn't, have a lot of lines i'm not it's not a criticism um but you did express i feel like you get expressed a lot through you know what you had to work with um but i'm curious on what what how your role has expanded if you're able to talk about that yeah well for, first let me touch on what you just were saying about how shelly is facing this this thing and why can't she have both i mean i i think you have to keep in mind she's in the relatively early phases of this awakening and i don't think it's an uncommon story that people who have a sort of self-realization, a sort of uh, a door that is opened, it can be very scary to cross that threshold. And particularly in a time where there's less acceptance of whatever's on the other side of that door. So I, I would say that, um, you know, it's, don't look at the end of season one as sort of Shelley's end point. This is very much the beginning of this discovery journey that she's going on. And I think that, uh, I think there's, there's still time uh, for anyone who is again, embarking on a, a journey of self-discovery. Uh, it, it will never end. So you're, you're constantly going through, uh, evolution, a change. And I think that, uh, again, you're, you're just, Shelly's butt dipped her toe in what this water might be. And so I think, uh, there's, there's more room for that to go. I guess what I'm curious on, what is Len, what is Lenny's awareness? What is Lenny's, what is Lenny's arc? And, you know, as much as you can express. Well, I can say, you know, regarding season one, uh, Lenny doesn't know anything. Um, Lenny can only know what's told to him and can only sort of uh, grapple with what he discovers. So short of, I, I, I think it's fair to say Lenny is not the most observant guy and I'm not sure he is necessarily clocking that there is some mm, distress happening on the other side of his marriage. And, uh, you know, with, with, with time, I think those things, as as people uh, go deeper into their journey of self-discovery, it becomes more evident. It can become a little bit more, uh, uh, it can become more difficult to hide. 
and I think um, you know perhaps we'll we'll kind of encounter that as we go, uh, some version of that. Well, it's interesting too because I think about all the male characters, and you're a rare male character in that in that that's a good per that's actually nice. Mm -hmm. Like you're not a you're not not the villain in any way, and I feel like most of the male characters, you know, you got Stephen Top, uh, Steve, uh, you got the Stephen Topolsky character who's you know the guy at the country club. Um, I mean, Doug is is a good person, but like it, it doesn't come out too much. You know, I mean, you can tell Doug's a good guy, but he's not always being good. But I feel like, you know, most of the other male characters that are straight and as characters aren't really that they're, they're, they represent, you know, they represent more uh, oppression towards women. I think you might represent it, like maybe not giving a much, as much attention, um, but I don't know. But but I don't think you represent anything that's bad. Like you're not you're not seen as you're not a jerk to her in any way. Well, look, I. First of all, if I could, I have well, what I, what I would say to that is, I think it's unhelpful to define any character as good or bad. Um, I think that um, you know, I I played I played Harry Crane on Mad Men for seven seasons, and I have had people say the worst things to me about Harry Crane, um, and the guy absolutely was a douchebag a lot of the time. But I also um, believe that Harry wasn't evil. He just was a douchebag. Um, and I think he had good moments. I, you know, with Lenny, like any character, I would not choose to play any character that is just good or bad or whatever. It doesn't, I don't see the point in it. People have said to me through my whole career, I mean, there was an article written about me that um, is my favorite headline ever. Rich Summer needs to stop playing sleazebags was the name of the <laughs> article. And I, to what I would just say, um, never, never. I tell you, I will never stop playing sleazebags because I would, I would, I would hate to play someone who was not, but good. I don't understand the point. I believe that, that we as humans are complex individuals. There are shades of gray. I might be Minnesota nice, but I've got Ohio pissed off just beneath the surface i think there's no point in uh trying to to say whether someone's good or bad doug renetti on on minx is not uh great all the time but he's also yeah. very clearly got has the intention of doing the right thing so i yeah. it doesn't his actions aren't perfect it's what makes him an interesting character that and the fact that jake johnson's outstanding but you know you see this character faced with choices and he makes sometimes the right one quote unquote and sometimes the shittier one and that's just kind of how it how it goes in humanity so for lenny i think that lenny is a good guy um who's imperfect just like every other character i have and ever will play I mean, I hear you and I agree. I'm, I'm oversimplifying for the purpose of a quick conversation, but I do hear you. I guess it's funny because when I watched, I mean, having Mace come out during COVID was the best thing in my life because it was COVID sucked, right? So, yeah. but it but it made you know it, it's funny. Like when I watch that show, I love shows that are kind but yet have conflict. So it reminded me of the Muppets because yeah. the characters all like. You know they fuck with each other they have conflict but at the end of the day they figure it out although there are a few characters that don't have that arc but very few yeah i think that's actually a really good point look i 
we have lived through a lot of, uh, even at our age, you and I, we've lived through. I think I'm a lot um, older than you, but. <laughs> I, I highly doubt it. Um, I'm 40. Love, how old are you? How old are you? 52. Okay. You're seven years older. That's barely, that's not a lot. You look younger, but, so. I thought, I thought you were young. But we've lived through a time, a lot of different iterations of television already. We've seen sort of uh, the um, the heyday of the sitcom. We've seen um, the 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 angry sort of mean uh, characters on TV, the spiteful TV, and now we've swung around. And this is obviously, I think, an answer to what society is perhaps feeling in this moment. You know, this younger, this current generation. The, the you know my kids are 12 and 15 they are so much nicer than i was they have so much more awareness of wh- how what they say impacts people they have so much more care in dealing with frustrating situations than i did and it's i believe well well i again i think this generation is just more aware of how words can hurt how actions can hurt it you know um my daughter has a grasp on pronoun usage that i am <laughs> trying my damnedest to wrap my right. head around but i'll never get to where look it's like me with computers and my dad just he's good on computers but he'll never be as facile with them as i am because right. i grew up on them I, they're ingrained in me my daughter has a use of language that it, she's more facile with because it is ingrained in her and I'm trying to relearn. So it's, it's the, but, but to, to the point of Minx, I think Minx is here in a moment when we are as audiences fed up with seeing our characters get their asses kicked over and over and over. That doesn't mean they don't face conflict. Obviously, Joyce and Doug and Bambi and Shelly and uh, they're, they're, everyone is facing moments that are uh, challenging. Um, but the way that they're finding their way out uh, is it's different. It resonates differently with the audience. The audience feels a little less stressed out, perhaps, when they're watching Minx. Unless you're my parents and you're like, Jesus, there are a lot of penises on this show and they just uh, have to grapple. They have to figure out how to deal with that. This is the first conversation I've, I mean, I've I interviewed Carly. I've interviewed some of the makeup people. Like, this is the first conversation that wasn't mostly about dicks. So, you know, <laughs> high five. It's funny, I want to say one more thing. I feel like in terms of gender, and this might be a bad, bad comparison, but I feel like when you and I were like in high school, you had maybe 15 categories of, of music. And now there's like thousands of them. And I think yeah. it's like the yeah. same kind of idea that who the hell would know like what this shit is? Not that it, not that, you know, I don't make fun of it, but it's just like, I don't, you'd have to study this shit to really understand the code. Well, um, but you don't, no, no, you would have to study it to understand the code. My kid doesn't have to study it to understand it. That's my point is that we, we, because we had it ingrained, we had it beaten into us. No, life is binary. No, life is easy, black and white. This is how it goes because that's what they were told and we were told. And this shift happened beneath our feet in a, uh, uh, listen, I am so fucking grateful to be alive right now to witness yeah. this moment. As many challenges as we are facing in in society, as many sort of political uphill battles as we're fighting, as many, uh, you know, my career, uh, I, I don't love being in a double strike. I don't, you know, as many of those challenges, it's still almost always the best time to be alive. So yeah. I am so grateful to be here 
at this moment, witnessing the shift, even though I'm going to have to sort of ride it as much as I can um, while my my kids are sort of generating the wave beneath me. I'm going to do everything I can to stay on the board and 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 ride it with them. And I think it's a great I think it's really smart of you. And also just I'm glad you shared it because I think gratitude is the key. Um, if you have gratitude, like, you know, things can be shitty, but like, if you've got gratitude, you're not, and not just looking at the bad things and being, and having them overpower the good things. It's a real life. Um, Michael I just want to add, Fox uh, had a quote recently and, and he's got a million obviously about gratitude and optimism, but his uh, a quote that I heard him say uh, just in the last couple of months, uh, gratitude makes optimism sustainable. Did you watch and his document documentary? It's phenomenal. Oh my God. I, I, that it's... was and again, you know, you look at something like that. And I think, I think that kind of stuff could be easily thrown into inspiration porn, which that wasn't. But no, it's got to be hard to be, you know, somewhat typecast in that. But that was such a real. He was just what an authentic human being, you know. Um, uh, that dude. I mean, I've read uh, two of his three uh, sort of memoirs. He is just. Uh, I mean, God, uh, you know what? What a gift he's given, not only in his his openness of the strife that he's faced and his openness with how he's faced it and the the his openness about the ups and the horrible downs of it but he turned it into a contribution to society yeah where they've identified a gene that may make uh parkinson's uh, an obsolete it's possible yeah. it's they've at least unlocked the possibility and my god what a what a lemonade out of lemons situation. That guy is, uh, thank goodness for that guy. Holy cats. And with him sharing, it normalizes, it normalizes disability. It normalizes, like, he's just Absolutely. a guy trying to fucking wake up. He gets in bad moods. You know, he, sometimes he's a dick, sometimes he's nice. And it's just, I think people are so stuck in what, what that means. All right, I have one last question. Um, you know, speak, speaking back about the Muppets in terms of the vibe there, it, it was very obvious to me that whatever the culture was in making the show was so positive that it ref that it reflected in the performances. I'm curious on just your experience on just being part. part I'm, I, I, you know, I've talked to a lot of people who like talk about how much, how Ellen was so supportive and had these a lot of like you know one on one conversations to make people make sure people felt at home and safe. It seemed like that was a big part of all the uh, prosthetics. And did you? I, I have to ask if you got, if you had a prosthetic because um well i don't want to spoil the second okay season, so i'll say right. i don't know if i've had a prosthetic <laughs> or not but but can you speak to say... being on the set and the culture of it and why you thought why it why that show why it's so apparent that there's authenticity and that that the characters are so bonded I'm Listen, curious I'm gonna i can i can only answer this from my perspective but i'll tell you this um i did a job the job that i did for the two years leading up to the pandemic was a show called in the dark it was on cw and I played a, a cop and whatever. But it was created by Corinne Kingsbury. And Corinne was the head honcho, you know, the Ellen of the show in the dark. And there was a day that we were on set. And I turned to Corinne and I said, I think you're the best boss I've ever had. Um, I couldn't. It was just this feeling of I was hearing her talk to the other actors. I was hearing her speak with the crew. I was hearing. I knew how she was speaking to me. And I said, I think. Uh, Corinne, I, I genuinely, I just had this like emotional moment. I was like, I think you're the best boss I've ever had. And she said, let me ask you something. Um, have you ever had a boss who was a woman? And I said, uh, huh, pretty, pretty rarely. I mean, I, you know, I got to visit on glow a few times, so I had a couple, you know, but, but the answer is 
very rarely. Yeah. Speaking now to Ellen on Minx, her supportive uh, demeanor, her attention to how people are feeling, her awareness of the potential for discomfort, her attention to us, the crew, the writers, every aspect of it. I. It's not because she's a woman. She is an incredible person. But boy, oh boy, if I only, uh, if if I have in the dark and glow and minx to point at, yeah, I will happily only work for women for the rest of my life. I am so grateful, again, to be around when this moment is happening and it's not just uh, men in charge and the feeling, the difference as someone who's mostly worked for difficult men, uh, the 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 shift in the feeling is unbelievable because I thought every set was going to be hard um, and um, emotional warfare. And uh, it turns out it doesn't have to be that way and and you can still make good TV. Again, it's not just because she's a woman. Ellen Rappaport is an incredible person, but it is certainly... Uh, it may not be uh, causal, but it's at least correlative so far that the the women for whom I've worked have built environments in which it is a joy to work. I think when you treat people well and you're kind and you you give them space, you can do so much. And I feel like just to tie it into the strike, you know, if these companies were working that way, making people feel appreciated, like if you're not being taken care of, you're not going to want to go out and promote something. You're not going to, you know, so it never makes sense to 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 lead in that way that is oppressive because you're not going to get the best out of people. Oh, yep. I mean, I, could, I couldn't agree more. It's I and I think it's um. look, you, you're constantly going to see uh, this shift happening again. It's just we're in a moment where people are realizing you don't have to be awful to get good shit done. I'm currently reading, Maureen Ryan wrote a book called Burn It Down, and it is about the culture uh, whiplash that's happening in Hollywood right now that was kicked off partially by the Me Too uh, event, exacerbated obviously by the murder of George Floyd in Minneapolis, but uh, that we are in a moment of, of seismic change. But there's been a lot of stuff that led to this moment. And this book kind of goes back and walks through a lot of the shit that led to this. And um, do check it out. It's a, it is not particularly for someone in the business. And uh, when I see you know certain projects I've worked on talked about in the book, it's tough. Uh, it's not an easy light bedtime read. Uh, it keeps me up at night. But it's also, I think, vital uh, to sort of have a... Uh, to, to help us grapple with what needs to stop. And if you like look at that as comparison to like, you know, groups and politicians, they're trying to erase history for that reason. Like yep. without that knowledge, you don't, you can't heal. You don't understand. You don't. And it, it's, you know, I don't know. I, I really feel like you made a good point about it. I, I do think things are more positive. I think we're, I think that the angry voices, the bad voices are louder and have more, they have more, they have more sound, but I really feel like that's a sinking ship and these people just can't, can't accept that it's going down and just keep trying to be louder and louder. But I really feel like they're going away. I, I really, no, I do it's, see a it's, shift. It's a death rattle. It's a death rattle. And, and I don't know, you know, I could die tomorrow. I may not see the, the other side of it, but um, I am, I am hopeful for where that uh, as they, as they keep uh, screaming, you know, the Tommy Tubervilles and the, the, 
the, the Ted Cruz's and the Jim Jordan's and the Lindsey Graham's and the Donald Trump's of the world as their ship fucking sails to the bottom of the sea. I will uh, listen to their cries and will await my life raft. And the last thing I'll say about Minx, what's so good about it, it's, it's queer positive. A multi, it's a multicultural group of people that get along. And I think that yeah. is, and you know, and, and it's queer friendly. And it, like, I think that is really why it also touched me of like, that's what we, you know, that's, that's the world, that, the, that world exists. But I'm really, really, thank you so much for, for showing up. Great. Th and Rich, thank you so much. This is very, very kind of you. And I really appreciate this. I'm really glad to have, since you're, I did, most people I interviewed were, were based around season one. And I'm really happy that I had some more representation from season two. Listen, I think you'll like it. Uh, based on what you've said, I think you'll, you'll be happy with, with the series. Thanks again, Rich. I really appreciate this. It was really great talking Absolutely. to you. Hey, um, thanks for checking that out. I want to, while we're on the topic of Rich Summer, I want to recommend you go back to our, uh, you can listen to the the Pelt and Minx podcast. Um, so many, we I think we have, this is our ninth. I think we're gonna, um, when I put out Sam Levine's episode, it'll be 10th. We've got about six more to put out. It is the most extensive uh, podcast about Minx, and it might be the most extensive, one of the, one of the more extensive podcasts about any show, because we really... We looked at all of it. We interviewed the prosthetics. We interviewed the, the, the creator. We interviewed Mason Flink, who was a writer. We interviewed costume. We interviewed the sound people. We interviewed um, some other people that worked in makeup. We, uh, it was, you know, uh, a lot of, the, we interviewed about five of the actors. I mean, it was such a pleasure to be kind of welcomed in that community. And I have to thank, a big thank you to Eric Elstein really welcomed me to that community even though he wasn't even in season two uh eric is eric is a fine ac amazing actor and, and a fine another great human being very thoughtful very caring uh and i gotta thank eric for kind of you know hooking me up with some other people to talk to from the show even though he did not he would not benefit at all with the promotion that 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 is what makes a really good human being all right uh until next time take care Thought and different